while, I hope you um, will look inside of your lifelines and see uh, that we have a, a booklet of all the breakthrough shapes we've been studying the last uh, few weeks. This is the conclusion of our breakthrough series, and we want you to take this with you and, and continue to use these shapes to mold you. Uh, just, just some of the shapes we've gone over the last few weeks, we, we talked about that identity triangle uh, of who you are in Christ. We talked about the Kairos learning circle, that when you have that moment, you stop and listen to what God is saying to you. We talked about that hand that you use to guide you through the Lord's Prayer. We talked about relational balance, that you want to reach up and in and out. We talked about looking for that person of peace instead of knocking your head on a closed door. And then we talked last week about that wonderful rhythm of the semicircle. Please take those with you. Today, I want to close this series, though, talk about not a shape, but the most powerful tool that God has to change us. All of those shapes are good tools, but this is the most powerful tool and for breakthrough. And that tool is brokenness. It's just brokenness. I mean, listen to what a broken man says in Psalms 51, verse 17. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. What, what, what is David saying there? He's saying the worship that really brings glory to you, the greatest worship is when you come before God in great brokenness. I mean, we, we all come together and we, we love this, but what I want to say is what's really worship to God is when you finally enter this place of brokenness. Now, why is brokenness so critical? Because the first step on the way to breakthrough is to be broken. It's the path of breakthrough. This morning, I want us to look at what we commonly call the Beatitudes. If, if you're new to Christianity, Jesus' most famous message was found in Matthew chapter 5 called the Sermon on the Mount. And he starts it with some really good good sayings. And forever in my life, I just thought they were disjointed points that looked good on a plaque. But when I finally recognized there was a sequence to these points, and it was a path to growth, it changed my mind about them. Now, we've read this so much, I want to read this out of the message translation so it sounds fresh to you today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. You are blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more room, there's more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you're lost. You've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you work up You've worked up a good appetite for God. I love this. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourself cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover 
who you really are and your place in God's family. Oh, I love that. And I want to, to show you this morning this path of breakthrough. And, and here's how it starts. We can divide these beatitudes into three different categories. First of all is what I call brokenness. He starts off with that, that term that you are poor in spirit. What that means is that you have nothing to offer on your own. You're spiritually bankrupt. You have nothing to bring to the table. It's the man in Luke chapter 18 who prays, Lord, here's all I can say, is be merciful to me, a sinner. And then you begin to mourn. It's to weep over your own sins and the sins of the world. Not only do you know you're messed up, but you feel it deeply. And then that leads you to that point where the Bible says you are meek. Now, now we don't like the word meek because the word meek sounds weak to us, right? If you went on your first date, and then the date, guys, the girl said to you, I've really enjoyed tonight. You are the meekest guy I've ever been with. How many would take that as a compliment? Nobody. But in the Bible, it's a great compliment because meekness in Scripture does not mean weakness. It simply means you've been broken to the point where you can now be molded. It was used in the first century to describe what you would do with a wild stallion. You would, first of all, break the stallion so it's under control, so it could be most powerful. And so we see this first section of brokenness. And then out of that comes desire. Out of that comes a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Now, the words here aren't like you miss lunch and you're hungry by the time you get to supper. The word here is you are starving for food, starving for water. And you that intensely say, i got to have it. And I love that desire. Now, where does that desire come from? That desire comes from that first section of brokenness. You see, not until you're broken, not until you're at the end of yourself, do you really understand how badly that you need God. And so you begin to seek God with everything you have. I love how one man said, God brings us to the end of ourselves, and that's where we find the beginning of Him. You see, many of us have never let ourselves really feel that empty. Most of us don't know physically. We've, maybe a few of us in here would know what it's like to be starving and the intensity you'd want food or water. And I think in our modern culture, we're not able to feel this sense of brokenness that leads to this desire because we've got too many things available to us to at least temporarily fill the void. I know my life's broken, so I go run and do some activity. I, I know uh, I don't like who I am right now, so I begin to go soothe it with alcohol. I, I, I feel insecure right now, and, and so I go eat the food. I, I want to feel better about things, so I go shopping. I, I, I don't want to think about what's going on inside me, so I, I just stay on ESPN every, every night. Or I find some kind of entertainment. You see what happens for most of us is when we find this sense of brokenness, we can escape it through all of these things, but they only last temporarily. In fact, they even lose their punch. And before long, whatever you're filling that void with, you've got to have more and more and more of it. And that's where we come to addictions, guys, because we're trying to fill a void that only God can fill, and we keep pushing these things in it, and it doesn't work. Where the, the healthy thing, but the painful thing for us, will be to stop and to fill the pain. 
And, and to know that without God we are broken. And then we begin to hunger and thirst for God with everything we have. And then God's so powerful, he begins to change us into the image of Jesus. He begins to have this breakthrough in our life. Listen to the descriptions. We become merciful. We become pure in heart that's focused. We even become peacemakers like Jesus. When we walk into a room, things get better. And we also are peacemakers between God and man. You see, what I love about these Beatitudes, at the beginning of each Beatitude says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. You think, that sounds crazy to me. That doesn't sound like blessed. You know that word blessed could be translated happy. You're happy when you're poor in spirit and bankrupt. You're happy when you're mourn. You're happy when you're broken. Oh, yeah, because of where it leads to. Think of just the opposite. Are you really happy when you're too proud to admit you got a problem? Are you really happy when you can't feel the depth of your sin? Are you really happy when you're unshapeable? Are you really happy when you are unmerciful and you are not pure in heart and you don't make peace? No. It's God's way that may be painful, but it is effective for breakthrough. I want to share with you a great example in the Bible. It's um, King David. Now, I want to set up what I'm about to read. That King David was the greatest king in the history of Israel. He's a man that God says, in the long run, is the man after his own heart. Could you get a bigger compliment? And yet, in the context of what we're about to read, he sees a woman he lusts after. He asks her to come to his place. He commits adultery. Then she gets pregnant, so he has her husband killed on the battle line. Then he brings her into his home, and nobody knows the background. So everybody's thinking, what a sweet king we've got. Oh, my goodness, this poor widow lady. He's brought her into his home. He's taking care of her. And here's what happens is not only is the, the sin terrible, but like most politicians, the cover-up's even worse. And it appears that he's covered it up and that he's still that hero and everything's good. Until God decides to break him. And God sends the prophet Nathan to him. And Nathan tells this story about someone who abuses a little sheep. And David says, that is awful what he did. And then Nathan looks at the great king David and says, you are the man. You are guilty. You didn't just slaughter a little sheep. You slaughtered a man. And he's broken. And we get to read what he went through. Psalm chapter 51, powerful psalm. As we go through this, you're going to see the exact path we saw in the Beatitudes. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. And my sin is always before me. You ever felt that way? How bad? Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Now, is David teaching original sin here? No, I think it's poetry. I think he's saying, I feel so stinking guilty. I feel so bad. Lord, it's like I have been a sinner since the beginning of my life. I can't remember anything else. 
Yet, verse 6, you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. God, you never stop working. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let you hear joy and gladness. I love this line. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit in me. No, Lord, do not cast from your presence me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You, you heard that brokenness? And now you hear the desire of his heart, Lord. I don't want to lose you. I've got to have you. Don't take anything. Don't take your spirit away from me. Then we see him begin to be changed. Then I will teach transgressors your way, so sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior. What are you going to do now? And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Here we get to our worship. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Broken, contrite. The word contrite here is not the way we use it. Is oh, you know, I feel bad about that. The word contrite here is that you have collapsed. You have been crushed. And so we see this beautiful path in King David's life where he becomes a man after God's own heart. How did that happen, guys? Because he went through brokenness and had an amazing desire, and God reformed him. That's the purpose of brokenness. Write this down. God reforms you. We might put it this way. God breaks you to recreate you. I like what Paul says in Romans chapter 5. He's talking about suffering, talking about trials. Nobody likes them, but God uses them. Listen to what he says. We glory in our suffering. You're kidding me, Paul. Give me a break. You glory in your suffering? So how in the world can you do that? Here's the reason. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not disappoint. So God says, it's in this brokenness that I've got a chance to change you. We say this phrase, fill in, fill in the blanks for me. If it ain't broke, don't what? Don't fix it. God says it differently. If you ain't broke, you can't be fixed. It's like this little kid, third grade, she had made this beautiful piece of ceramic she had made it in class, and she was so excited. And finally, the day the teacher gave it back to her, and her mom's down at the end of the hall, and so she burst out of the classroom. She's running down this hall. In the middle, she slips, and she busts the ceramic right there. And her mom runs up, and she's trying to make it all right, so she's saying to the little girl, it's okay, it's okay, don't worry about it. It's okay, it doesn't matter. And then the older, wiser teacher showed up in the hall and said to the little girl, it's not okay. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick up the pieces, and we're going to put it back together. And that's what God says. Okay? 
I can pick up the pieces of your broken life. And God says, I can put it together. And I can put it together even more beautiful than it was when I first created it. So here's the point I want you to know this morning. This is really, really important. You will be broken. I want you to let that sink in for a second. Most of you, you've lived long enough already. You've, you've had a period of brokenness. I'm not, that's not a shocker to you. I mean, Jesus put it this way. In this world, you will have trouble. What's the forecast? Trouble. He also says in the middle of the tro- trouble, you can have joy. Because we're going to be broken. It's not a matter of if you'll be broken. It's simply a matter of when you will be. Now, let's talk for a moment about how God breaks us. I want to give you four ways that God breaks us. First of all, is through trials. That's what Romans 5 was about. It was that suffering, going through that difficult ordeal that began to change you. And guys, we all have trials. You know, these are not sinful things. You know, maybe you lose your job or you lose your spouse. Or maybe you, look, you work for a difficult boss. Or you have to go bankrupt. Or things are just not right at home and it's a difficult marriage or you've got difficult children. And it just, it just, it's just a trial. You had not done anything sinful. It's just an ordeal that you're having to go through in your life and it breaks you. Another way God can break you, really it's you breaking yourself, is through temptations. It's when you fall into sin and you rebel against the will of God. Because that's what happened with David, our example here. Man, David's committed adultery. You know, David's committed murder. David's covered up. I mean, he breaks almost all the Ten Commandments in a couple of days. And and it was his choices that brought him to a point of brokenness. And yet God says, you know what, David? I can even take your bad choices and we can do something good with it. Or another way to be broken, a better way to be broken than trials or temptation is through truth. We've looked at a lot of scripture today. And, And my prayer is, as we've looked at this scripture, you've been convicted by truth. Because this is not the world's way to change. You know, we go back to that great Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, where he starts off with those Beatitudes. He also says something in the middle of that sermon that blows me away. He says, you should be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I see the standard of God, and I see who I am, and there's a great distance, and that distance breaks me. You see, guys, the way God would prefer to break you is through you just being convicted by his word. I I, I remember a few weeks ago, I've been honest with you guys, I was going through a tough time, and I I went to Tuscaloosa to speak, and uh, a good friend of mine took me out to dinner, and uh, we were talking, and he said, well, how are you doing? I said, well, quite frankly, I've been struggling a little bit lately, just been feeling like I've been dealing with depression a little bit. And he said, well, what are you thinking about? And so I started telling my friend sort of my thought p- pattern, which was very negative and, you know, honestly faithless, that I'd wake up every morning just thinking about negative things, and I'd go to bed thinking about negative things, and I was just overwhelmed by the condition of the world and myself and the church and all those kind of things. And I expected him to say some sweet, comforting words to me, but he was too good a friend for that. Here's what he said to me, buddy, 
you need to repent. Whoo! That's pretty stern. And let, listen to me, guys. I had been to God about some of my thought processes. I said, God, this is not good. I, I know. I wish I didn't think this way. But, but just him using a word that we don't use enough. You need to repent. You need to change about this. You need to turn your back on this. It was so strong. I had a Kairos moment of two hours in the car by myself and God from Tuscaloosa to Montgomery. Because that allowed me to go and finally say, Lord, the way I'm thinking, I repent of it. May you forgive me and let me accept the same grace I give to other people. And my friends, that's the way God would like to bring that brokenness. It's, it's like in the book of Nehemiah I was reading this week. They, they, they finally have rebuilt the wall and the temple and they, they bring out the law of God and they stand all day while Ezra reads the law and the people Stand all day and then they begin to weep. They're so broken because they've neglected what God has said. But here's the cool thing. After they start weeping, God says, stop weeping. Now I can work with you. Rejoice. That's the best way. Now, if trials or temptation or truth don't work, there's one more way God's going to break you. And you don't want this one. He's going to break you in the trial. At the end of time, you will come before God, and if you have not already bowed before him, Paul says Philippians chapter 2, every knee shall bow. So don't think you could escape brokenness. What a terrible moment if you continue to, to... put things in your life to not feel your brokenness. You continue just to, to run through life and never surrender your life to God. And one day you come before God and God says, you know what? You never surrendered to me. You will bow right now. And you're going to remember Sundays like this. Well, you heard the message and you should have bowed because you will bow. So I ask you, you're going to be broken. Or you can choose to embrace it. Uh, One of my favorite preachers, Tony Evans, puts it this way. You can either choose to be broken or God is going to break you without your permission. It'd be a lot smarter to give him permission. So back to our beginning passage. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. If you really want to worship today, then I'd invite you in a few minutes to show up on this front row and to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. If you've been going through an ordeal that's broken you, say it. If you fall into a sin that's broken you, say it. If you've been convicted by truth that makes you want to turn your back on the way you used to live, then say it. Because that's the way real change happens. I had something really interesting happen this week while studying for this. If you've heard me preach very long, you know the Beatitudes are one of my favorite passages. So I went back in my files and drug out every sermon I've ever preached on the Beatitudes. In the midst of one of those files is something that shocked me. It was a funeral service I preached. Some of you may remember John Pickens. Many of you gone to ACA have had his mother, Susan, as a teacher. 
John died at a very young age. He was up in Tallahassee at the dam. He didn't hear the horn when it sounded, and he didn't make it to shore before the dam was open, and he drowned. And I was thinking about John's story, and it was the perfect picture. You see, John grew up in a great Christian home with great Christian parents. When he got in college, he started going off a little bit, and before long, he was on drugs, and before long, he was selling drugs, and before long, in a bad house, in a bad area of town, he was actually a part of a shooting. And John Pickens went to jail for a couple years. I had not met him until he got out of jail, and he showed up here at Landmark. And he started coming to a life group I was leading. First night, he walked in the door. He said, can I go to your bedroom, and can I tell you everything I've ever done? And he began to tell me about the drugs and the shooting and prison and how badly he wanted God. That dude was so serious about getting his life right to God, he went back to the church he'd grown up with that still had a Wednesday night invitation, and he walked forward. And by the time John Pickens was passed away in that, tra- passed away in that tragedy, he was one of the most fired up evangelistic people I knew. And he fit the story of the Beatitudes. And my friends, it happens through brokenness. It hit me again just a few weeks ago. On March the 13th, I performed a funeral service for a great friend of ours in Pensacola, Florida. When we lived in Pensacola, uh, we lived across the street from Paul and Polly Schrader. They were amazing people. They became like grandparents to our children. We've lived here for 22 years. They've never missed a graduation, a shower, a wedding, anything to do with our family. They're like, they're like family. And Paul passed away just a few weeks ago, and he told me years ago, I want you to preach my funeral. And I knew he had a rough background, but as I began to study about his life, I found out it was even worse than I thought. He was birthed to a single mother at age 14. She was an alcoholic. She married his stepdad. He was an alcoholic. It was a terrible home to grow up in. He got out of there, escaped to college, then joined the Marines, fought in the Korean War and the Vietnam War, and that scarred him. And he became an alcoholic. Years later, he writes a a little paper called My God Story. And he said, my God story, listen to this, begins at age 62. And listen to how he described himself. I was a roaring, womanizing, hardcore alcoholic. That was December of 1980. One cold December night in West Virginia, in the middle of a snow-packed road, he found himself passed out in drunkenness. And he met two angels. The first angel was a young man that stopped in the middle of that road at 2 a.m. And got him in his pickup truck. And said, I'll take you to the VA hospital. To the alcoholics ward. Only if you promise me you will never drink again. And three months later, he left that place and never touched another drop. And then he met his second angel. He had joined a local gym to get in shape. He saw this really beautiful woman and began to flirt with her. She didn't pay him much attention. 
But then one day he came up to her and said, I'd like to look in your eyes every day for the rest of my life. And Miss Polly said, why don't you try? That second angel's here with us today. Would you give a hand for my friend, Miss Polly? After their marriage, they moved to Pensacola almost the exact same time we did. They actually showed up at Gateway the first um, Sunday I preached. And I was joking about, I'd lived in Tuscaloosa before this point, so I was joking that I had never preached for a mixed congregation. And I, I was referring to Alabama, Auburn, Florida, and Florida State. Now my little fireball Miss Polly thought I was talking about race. And she went to one of the elders and said, I cannot come to this church. Your preacher's a racist. So he didn't get off to a good start. But then we became best of friends. And it wasn't but a few weeks later that I baptized Mr. Paul. Now, the building in Pensacola has no windows. They don't have to bring screens down. I mean, it just, just had no windows, so the baptistry's real high. So when someone's baptized, all the lights are cut off, and there's a spotlight on the baptistry. It's all you can see. And so I brought Mr. Paul down. I pulled him up. He looked out at Miss Polly and blowed her a kiss. It's one of, my, one of my favorite baptisms of all time. Now, remember, his chain started at 62. By the time he's 90, the church is full of people going, this is the most encouraging, positive, loving man I've ever been around in my life. Stephanie and I were able to go visit them about three weeks before his death. We knew it was close. And I'm telling you, we, we left that room much more encouraged than we gave him. And what I loved about him, here he was, 90 years old. He said, buddy, he said, we got these folks in our church who just complain about everything. And he goes, I just don't get it. What is their problem? Every little nicky-nacky thing, they find something wrong with it. And he said, my goodness, do they not recognize they're saved by grace? I, I don't, he said to me, I don't even get why they come to church. You see, it was through brokenness that God changed him. Now look at the bottom part of that verse. Oh God, you will not despise brokenness. Now listen to me. The world despises brokenness. The world says, oh, don't humble yourself. Hold on to your pride. Don't let anybody know today that you got some problems. Don't let anybody know you're broken. And the world despises brokenness. God does not despise it because he knows if you will fill your brokenness and desire God more than anything else, he will recreate you. And so this morning... As we prepare to sing, if you come to this assembly today and you're broken, let me say something to you. You might not even want to hear this, but that may be the best place you've ever been in your life. Because if out of this brokenness, you will seek God. If out of this brokenness, you allow a desire to come in you that you want God more than anything else in your life. That's when you're going to have real breakthrough. And so this morning, if you're courageous enough to swallow your pride and walk down these aisles and ask this church to pray for you,
If you're courageous enough to swallow your pride and be dunked in some water for your life to be changed, then I invite you to come right now while we stand and sing.